Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. So Katina, want to tell us a sneak peek of the article that we'll be discussing today? Yes, I do. So today we're going to be talking about people's sentiments about working from home during the COVID-19 pandemic. And we're specifically going to be talking about how they expressed those sentiments on social media through Twitter. So a lot of companies now are thinking about requiring people to work from home, meaning they're not going to reopen their corporate offices. They're going to maintain people working from remote locations. And a question might be, you know, whether or not people really uh, are going to appreciate and enjoy that or if they're going to wish that they had some sort of a hybrid model or if they went back in the office. So we can learn a little bit about how people feel about working from home from these um, pandemic tweets. I find it so interesting that people are using social media, number one, to do some research. And we had, I think we had one other study like that or maybe a couple, but not that many. So I find it super fascinating. But then I also yeah. love that we're taking a situation where everybody, well, not, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people were required to suddenly work at home. And now we can see how people react to that requirement and see if we can apply it elsewhere. Yeah. And I think something that's really interesting about this particular piece too, is that um, we'll see what the results are, but they do mention that working from home during COVID-19 was a little bit more complicated compared to working from home under normal circumstances. So, um, you know, when when kids were in school, are in school and the world is a little bit more normal, we might see an even more positive skew on this data. So um, I will reveal the results later. But basically, this is even probably a pretty conservative test of how people feel about working from home, even when it's required. That's a really valid point. I had I don't know why that idea had escaped my mind, but it's a really good point because it's much more complicated for a lot of people to have been required to work from home super suddenly. It was like a quick change and it was a change not just with the working space, but like all the other things, family dynamics, things you can do outside of the home, everything changed at once. So that's a very different situation than if you're in a, you know, in an office and suddenly your, your company decides to close down that office and go full remote, that's a probably a slower change um, and other and you'll have time to prepare and figure out other things that you need to do in order to make that work. So it's very, very different. So that's a really, really good point. So I'm very curious to see what they found and think about how that might change if the situation wasn't so dramatic. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it's interesting because I'm seeing a lot of folks trying to use the pandemic as an equivalent case of working from home. And I was just in a panel a couple weeks ago and someone was talking about some of the issues that they're having with employees working from home. And they were sort of like lamenting that, you know, some people are thriving working from home, but other people, you know, really seem like they are more withdrawn or they feel or it seems like they're putting less hours in than they used to. And the person was kind of trying to use it as a way of making the case that they should go back to the office. And I pointed out on the panel that, you know, I don't know the employees that this person's working with, and it's possible that that would be happening regardless, but that we do have to remember that people were dealing with 
very different circumstances than a normal just like experiment of like do people like to work from home um when they have kids that are homeschooling or they have you know other people like significant others working in the house with them at the same time or they didn't like you said have time to set up a home office in a way that actually like makes sense for them you know like all these different sorts of things that happen with the suddenness and also just like okay now everybody's in the house you know what I mean all at once that I was kind of trying to urge her not to think of this time as like an indicator of whether or not any particular individual is capable of working effectively from home because it wasn't really a normal time totally that's a really good point I'm glad you said it to them because I think it's important for people to you know, give people grace during this time. Like we've talked about this many, many times on the show that with COVID, we know, we don't know everybody's struggles and we know that people are having struggles like more so than normal. People can have all sorts of challenges, obviously, regardless of what's going on in the world around them. But now we collectively should understand that there's a very dramatic situation with a lot of unique challenges and nuances depending on your specific world and family life so I think that's a very valid point like what's happening today may not be the way that person would work remotely long term because they would be able to do something different set it up better for themselves if it wasn't a situation where you know all things change at the same time right or just like not be interrupted so much like I was hearing a lot of my um, colleagues that have kids who are you know also at home saying that you know if we think it's hard to manage our work day with like which platform is this on and what do I need to do before this meeting and uh, making sure that you're like camera ready and all this kind of stuff like kids were doing the same thing like they had to manage their whole schedules and like their homework but also like what link to use for each class and like So they were saying like their kids were rightfully so like interrupting them or like, hey, I'm having internet problems. I'm, you know, so that's like a totally different when also everybody's using the same Wi-Fi. Yeah. Bandwidth issues. That's like another issue. Yeah. And that actually will come up later. But but I think what's interesting about this and we will learn more about moving forward is that um, the results, um, despite the fact that this was a very trying time, um, And probably there's a lot more negativity interspersed in there than there might have been under normal circumstances. Um, The results are actually pretty surprising in light of that. (laughs) Love that foreshadowing. Um, Before we hear those results, let me know how you're doing. What's going on with you? I'm good. Um, Yeah, this week has been um, fairly busy because it was the Academy of Management Conference this week. So I spent uh, a lot of my week in sessions, virtual sessions. Um, And it's always nice to see like what research is out there. I heard a lot about wellness. I heard a lot about positive. Yeah, I heard a lot about positive organizational um, phenomena. So like some other things that we talk about, like um, hope and resilience and um, all different and mindfulness, all different sorts of things. Uh, Gratitude. I was on a panel on gratitude. Um, So there was a lot of uh, good stuff going on. A lot of new research to hear about. Uh, one thing that I will say I miss, and I know that we talked about this uh, when the PSYOP conference passed as well, but 
not seeing people in person kind of takes away like a big element of the conference. I was saying to somebody like, I went to so many more sessions because it truly is easier to go to sessions when they're virtual because you don't have to physically bring yourself there. And for folks who are listening, um, when we go to these conferences, there's like five, depending upon the conference, there's like five to 10,000 people at the conference. And um, they have the conference sessions set up across like multiple hotels. And depending upon the city you're in, it can be easier, harder to get around. So sometimes you're like really wanting to get to a session, but it's like a mile away from where you are and you have a presentation afterwards and you can't get there. So there's something really nice about having a conference where you can just like bop around um, and go to sessions and like it's just as easy to join this session as it was to join the last session. And you can hop into a session for 45 minutes and then start your own presentation 10 minutes later if you have overlapping sessions or whatever. Um, So that part of it's really nice. But a lot of what's nice about the conference is connecting with your colleagues and having conversations, going out to dinner and hanging out. And that's when a lot of like good ideas come to fruition. And um, and that like whole piece was just like completely gone. So that I think um, should be preserved moving forward in um, us getting together. But the virtual session piece I actually like better than the in-person session piece. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. It lets you, it does let you get around more easily and like pick and choose a little bit better. Um, I mean, I'm not a part of this conference, but just generally speaking, the ones that I've done. But I think there's got to be a better way to do some networking virtually in these situations. Like I do want to go back in person. I love these kinds of events, but when you don't do that, when you can't do it in person, or if you want to offer some virtual stuff, I think they need to be a little more creative as to how they do it. And I think it's hard because we'll be like on zoom all day in sessions and you don't want to do a virtual uh, happy hour because you've now been on the, in front of the computer so long. So I think there's got to be some creativity uh, to help fix some of those issues if people continue to do some virtual conferences. And maybe it's you don't do it over the same length of time that you normally would. Maybe you make it longer. And so you have like an extra week where you can spread things out and have people actually have the capacity, mental capacity to sit in front of a computer and do some networking or something. I don't know. But I feel like yeah. there's a better way to do it. Yeah. So they're going to be, I think, moving forward, they're going to be doing this conference virtually uh, hybrid, virtually and in person. And I feel like conferences should move in that direction where it was funny. And you're so right that a lot of the formats that we have for these sessions where people are just like presenting or whatever, it's very like traditional. We've seen this format a million times. It was really funny because in a room you are looking everyone's looking at the presenter and like you can look around the room a little bit or get a sense of the energy of the room or whatever but it's not like everyone's face is like in a box in front of you you know and it was funny like seeing how bored people are (laughs) (laughs) like it was really apparent how bored people are with the traditional format when you can like literally just see everyone's face um like so I thought that was interesting and was definitely like a good case for why we should rethink how we do these things. Um, but I do have it on good authority that some of these conferences are going to start doing in things that are really done well in person, in person, and doing things that might be done a little more conveniently online, online. But I do think you're right that it takes some uh, 
thinking about how do we get a little more creative, even just like little things like um, the Positive Organizational Scholarship Group. They're awesome and they study all kinds of stuff that we love. So I'm on their listserv and I get like emails for their events. Like they always have like a very like uplifting song playing when you come into their session and they'll have like a mentee poll about like everybody put a word in about what they're grateful for today and then they like show the word cloud before the session starts and they have like little polls in the chat and they have like all different kinds of stuff that happens during the session that just makes it feel like more communal and like captures your attention more and they do like a lot of like breakout groups around interesting topics and like I feel like they have a good like their formats I like their formula around what they do I feel like it always is like a nice session but when it's just like people talking for like two hours with like no Mm -hmm. I was in a session that was three hours long and they didn't have any breaks (gasps) what (laughs) What? I cannot believe it I thought it was outrageous I don't know I thought it was the most outrageous thing um and they said that people should have their cameras on and then they kept saying like I don't know where so and so is. I guess they turned off their camera. I'm peeing. Like, yeah, it's They're been peeing. Three hours. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it was like kind of bonkers. So yeah, I feel like um, I feel like we could rethink some things. But anyway, overall the conference was good, and I was really happy to see how much wellness is front and center of a lot of these conversations in many different ways, um, and definitely starting to become something that people care about in and of itself without having to link it to like performance or something like that as an outcome. Like people care about wellness on its own much more frequently than they have in the past, I think, which was cool. Oh, that's great. So now hopefully yeah. we can get organizations feeling that way at some point too. <laughs> some do, but yes. not all. But if researchers yes. are going that direction, that's a really good sign. Yeah, I think so too. So yeah, so that was good. How about you? How's stuff going with you? Things are good. Very, very busy. I was in Florida last week, as you know, um, visiting the in-laws. So that was fun. It was hot. I don't know how you Floridians survive your summers um, (laughs) because, I mean, it gets hot here for sure, but... And I know, like, it's such a stereotype, and everyone's like, uh, dry heat is still hot. And I'm like, yeah, but no. Like, <laughs> because at yeah. night, it breaks. Like, at night, it'll be 60 degrees, and you can go outside, and it's, like, cool. But there at night, it's still really, really hot. So, yeah, I was hot a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, there's no escape in Florida of the heat. It's, like, just constant mm-hmm. oppression. Yeah, it is a lot. So... I am impressed by those of you that have adapted to that kind of weather. Um, It feels like it'd be hard to adapt to, but it was good to see everybody. I mean, this is my first time seeing um, my in-laws since December of 2019. Wow, that's so crazy. So long, so long. It was very weird flying for me. Um, I kind of got over it on the way there, but on the way back, it felt weirder. Which I don't know huh. why. Uh, I think because like we were gone for ten days, and like we know the Delta variant situation was getting worse when we left too. But then I feel like a lot of chatter about it happened while we were gone. So I think that mm-hmm. that made it my travel experience feel a little bit more stressful. Um, and then on top yeah. of that. I've told you already, but I had the most nightmarish travel in general. Like we, we had a layover. So, um, my in-laws live on the West coast of Florida and like, but still South Florida. So we flew out of Fort Myers, um, which is not a very big airport and they don't have direct flights to LA, um, except for during like certain times of the year. And so we had a layover in Dallas 
and our flight was super delayed. Um, Danny had just had a procedure done in his calves because his dad's a doctor. So he did um, some some work for him there. And so he was kind of hobbling around. Um, so when we had a t- super tight connection, that was no fun. Plus my suitcase handle broke, which meant that like <laughs> I couldn't even roll so my bad. suitcase. Like it was just one thing after another <laughs> that made the like... I don't know what should have been six or seven hours of travel what ended up being like probably 11 hours of travel just extremely stressful um yeah that's so bad yeah when my suitcase broke I <laughs> thought I was going to just collapse and die in that moment I was like how is this happening right now like we're so late I don't know what to do and did you um go to like the huge airport in Dallas that no you had to run thank through? goodness we were okay, flying through good. love so okay, that was good. yeah good. Dallas love is so easy so I mean we weren't we were kind of like on two like if you know that airport there's like the central part where there's like the restaurants and things um so we were on two different wings the flight landed in one wing and we had to go to the other wing but compared to DFW that's like basically a foot instead of the entire giant airport there so it was yeah it was the best of a really bad situation, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> the, the suitcase yeah. breaking was just like, yeah, that's when I thought that I was like, we're never going to make it home. We're going to end up being stranded in Dallas. I'm going to have to carry the suitcase for the rest of my life. <laughs> for like the rest of my yeah. life. <laughs> I'm going to wander around the airport carrying this suitcase forever. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is. I, I always get so anxious with a tight connection. Um, and then just knowing that you're going to have to land and run is like a horrible feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time that I ever went to Dallas, Fort Worth, I just didn't realize how huge it was. And I'm like, I, you know, walk really fast. And so sometimes I think I can like outwalk if I'm not, if I'm not quite sure, like how, how frequently a train comes or like whatever, I'll be like, you know what? I can just walk it. Well, that was like so stupid. Oh, I no. was, I decided like I can walk and make it to my gate. I wasn't even that, that, that tight on my connection, but I was pretty tight. And I was like, you know what, if I wait for this thing and it does, I don't know really what I was thinking. This was like many years ago, like, and I hadn't traveled that much. So I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll walk it. So I start walking and I'm realizing like, oh crap, like this is really bad. But once I like committed to it, I had committed to it and I just was like, all right, fine. I ended up like running. I had to run to get to my gate. I finally got to my gate. I was like all sweaty and disgusting. I was wearing a Fitbit at the time. I found out that I ran two and a half miles. (laughs) (laughs) All because the tram didn't get there fast enough for you. (laughs) Why? Why did I do this? Like everyone's like looking at me like I'm like a freako. I just ran like a 5K basically. Oh, and I was like, I'm an idiot. Like everybody's looking at me like, uh, why would you like if you ran, if you're running as far as it looks like you ran, you're a pure idiot because yeah, there's you no reason to do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my that gosh. So That's so funny. That's why. so bad. I don't know why I made that life choice, but I will always remember I was so sweaty. I was like, I can't believe I just ran with a suitcase for two and a half miles. So dumb. Yeah. So will not, will not do again. No, don't do that again. And we, th- I thought, cause we had an hour and a half between what was supposed to be an hour and a half. It ended up being five minutes slash they held the door for us um so I thought because with how small that airport was I actually didn't think it was gonna be a tight connection I was like even if we're running a little late but we're running that late 
which yeah. I mean, I guess it, it happens to be running an hour and a half late. That's not like unheard of, but it's not as common as being, you know, running 20 minutes late or something like that. So I thought, right. you know, there's still enough cushion. Um, and then, oh, and then the handle of your suitcase flies off yeah. and, everything. <laughs> and everything just blows up in my face. Well, because that's the other thing is I thought, oh, we'll also eat at love because we'll have time. And then like, I'm, I'm ki- not kidding you at all that we're sitting there realizing that I'm not going to, uh, that there's a chance we're going to miss our connection. We're not going to be able to eat at, at Dallas. Um, and so I was like, Ooh, maybe we should grab some food. As I was thinking that the only food place right next to the gate, which was like a Burger King closed. So, so then oh, I was no. like, well, we're eating in LA if we get there. Right oh my God. So that was real That's fun too. Sad. <laughs> That's sad. Just eating pretzels on the plane. That was very sad. But being like, can I have an extra bag of pretzels, please? (laughs) Um, Yeah. That's so bad. Well, I'm glad that you're home. I'm glad that you didn't melt in Florida. And (laughs) I hope that you get a new suitcase soon. Yes, very soon. Next time I see you, I will have a different suitcase for sure. It'll be new. It'll be new. But tell, okay, so. We got distracted. Tell me, tell me about, well, what the article's called, and then let's get into all the good things. Yes. So the article is called Exploring Public Sentiment on Enforced Remote Work During COVID-19, and it is by Zhang, Yu, and Marin, and it was just published in the Journal of Applied Psychology, one of the COVID papers that's available for free if anyone wants on the um, internet uh, on Journal of Applied Psychology's website. You can download this paper for free. Um, we've been profiling some of these papers and basically what they did was they analyzed Twitter data from March 30th to July 5th of 2020. So the thick of the lockdown and they scraped over a million tweets and they were using keywords like telework and work from home and remote work. And they analyzed the content to take a look at how people felt about this forced remote work. So I had a random thought. Do they actually use a keyword telework? Who uses that in on Twitter? No, nobody. I want to see. I want to see the stats. Like how many people use the word telework? I know it's gonna be like, I would like 0.01%. To know Stupid. I agree with you. <laughs> they listed like all their keywords, and it was like telework, teleworking, teleworked, remote work, remote working, remote work, remote working, work remote, working remote, worked remote. Like it's like a million remote worker, remote workers, remote work working work from home working from home work from home like yeah like well those are all good things um yeah. but if anybody remembers my telework rant like way yes. way back at the beginning yeah. of the podcast i think like probably in 2018 when i went on a whole thing about how i hate the term telework well it's back to haunt me but <laughs> yes, it is. anyways a million tweets that's a lot um yes what were they what did they find or what else do you want to tell us about it yeah so um So basically, I'm not going to get into like the craziness of what they did to analyze this because it's really pretty technical and I don't think that it really matters. But you can just trust and look at the article if you want to that they used like really complicated ways of like scraping the data and counting uh, how many times things um, showed up. And they had different like equations to control for weekdays versus work days. And they had like all different kinds of stuff in here. So I'm not going to get too much into the specifics because the results are pretty straightforward. But they did a very thorough job of uh, trying to understand what was going on within this data. 
um, by looking at the top topics that were talked about for each week, as well as the top topics that were talked about for each day. And then they use this um, natural language software that sort of scans the tweets to come up with, um, not only did they come up with top 50 topics um, among the tweets, but then they had a word cloud uh, that it produced uh, for each week. Um, so you can kind of see what are the most commonly used words and phrases. And it also spits out basically like um, results around the most frequently used terms. And then they were able to code phrases and other sorts of things that came out of that in terms of their sentiment as well as their content. So they did a good job of really being rigorous about it. But you just kind of have to trust that it's a million tweets. They did a lot of stuff. And uh, and what came out on the other end was that they had these themes and they had these sentiments. But the results are pretty straightforward. OK. Um, so the idea here, as I mentioned before, is that we know in the general literature that working from home is viewed more positively than negatively. There are some things that crop up around working from home that can be challenging, like setting boundaries or managing interruptions. But largely, the research shows that people like working from home. But a lot of the work from home studies that we looked at before were not people that were working remotely 100% of the time. So when we look at like meta-analyses on working from home, most people were working on some continuum of having a couple days in the office and maybe a few days at home or vice versa. But for the most part, the research on what we have on remote work comes from people who go into the office sometimes, but not a ton of research on people who are working remotely all the time. And we have even less research on people who are working remotely all the time, but not by choice. So mm -hmm. in some of the studies, people would have the option to go into the office or there is an office that they could go into, but maybe they choose to work from home most of the time, but they have the opportunity to go in when they feel like it if they wish. But there's not a ton of research on companies that work entirely remotely. And so they're trying to get a sense of here, OK, if your only option is to work remotely 100% of the time, how do people feel about that? And taking with that a grain of salt that, as we talked about at the beginning, there are some environmental conditions that are going on here that are probably going to skew the data a little more negatively than would be uh, skewed under normal circumstances. So what did they find? Overall, they found that the attitudes that people were tweeting about remote work during this period of lockdown were more positive than negative by a mild amount. So it wasn't like, oh my God, everybody's obsessed with working from home right now, but it was definitely a higher number of positively valenced tweets than negatively valenced tweets. Um, and so they feel like this generally shows that people don't mind working from home 100% of the time, especially under these circumstances. Um, they also found that um, the positive sentiment peaked on Fridays and then took a dip during the weekends. Um, mm. And so they're wondering what that really means. They feel that positive tweets may have been on Fridays because people were just happy that the work week was done. Um, some of the words that came up were like, um, like around remote work were more like, I get to be done with remote work kind of thing, but they were excited. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, they think that maybe like happy sentiments about work peaked on Fridays, possibly because 
the nuances of the tweets were not being picked up on by the software in a way that maybe that people were actually just happy to be done with the work week. And they demonstrate that generally tweets are more positive on Fridays than other days across tweets. Um, there were less positive tweets on the weekends and they feel that the difference in the sentiment um, was due to tweets about people working on the weekend. So right. they did give a caveat that one of the downsides of working from home is that people didn't seem to be getting done what they wanted to get done during the week. So they were working on the weekend or they felt like they were being overworked or didn't have the the support of their company to create boundaries between Friday and the weekend. And so they feel like maybe the positive sentiment was caused by people being like, yay, it's Friday. And the negative sentiment was being driven by people who were still working. The only people who were tweeting about work on the weekends tended to be people who were still working on the weekends. And that could be a problem because they're more likely to be frustrated about that. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. Like if you're working, if you're tweeting about working remotely on the weekend, like unless you're like randomly deciding that I want to be so excited about work that happens during the week on the weekend it's probably going to be because you're working and you don't want to be working so yeah that makes sense yep I am curious this is like kind of a tangent but I am curious about who is tweeting about work compared to the general Mm -hmm. population like a million tweets is a lot but how does that compare to all working adults for example but I don't know if they looked at that at all or talked about it at all but just something that's been on the back of my mind yeah, so they scraped for certain words. They didn't um, – so I don't think that they know how this fits into the broader world of, like, all the tweets um, that got tweeted. They only know how many tweets were related to these particular words. Um, right. So in terms of, like, who's tweeting this compared to tweeting other stuff, I – They don't seem to have information about that. They also don't have demographics Mm -hmm. on the tweeters because that's just not publicly available information. Um, So we don't really know who's tweeting and we don't really know how many people um, were tweeting um, along with these kinds of things. They do know like co... I don't want to say correlated, but they did like um, find that certain keywords that had nothing to do with work trended or were present in work-related tweets like um one of the top themes for one of the weeks was like easter in a work-related tweet or another one was like mother's day or another one was summer for the first day of summer um and then there were a lot of work-related tweets about diversity um during uh black lives matter protests and um uh other sorts of things so anyway um they did find that there were sort of like words that were in the tweets that went along with work-related tweets, but they didn't have anything. They didn't have any tweets that didn't contain work-related words, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And I I would be curious to know, too, and this is probably beyond the scope of this, but just something to think about when you're looking at this kind of research. Like, our tweets about remote work would have obviously been counted, I would assume, um when we would talk about research that has to do with remote remote work and I feel like there were a lot of articles being written at the time so I bet there was a lot Mm -hmm. of circulation of information about remote work too um so I wonder if like the natural language processing tools picked up on that as a separate category 
Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, actually, like, we're probably in this data set. We, I guarantee you we are. <laughs> I bet we're in here. That's cool. Um, so, yeah. So that's, so I don't think that they know, like, that specifically. But what they do know is what the tenor of the tweets were that were about work. But I think that's a good point is like what was causing these tweets. And obviously, anytime you're using like a AI to code something, um, which was their point about Fridays, like anytime you're using AI to code something like big amounts of data, sometimes it's hard to get at like the computer might not quite understand the nuance of the language. Um, but they're doing the best they can. Um, and so basically what they did after they looked at like the sentiment whether it was positive or negative um they then looked at the themes so they identified a bunch of different um themes that um basically emerged as like the highest probability tweets um and so they split them into benefits and challenges so one of the or the sets of benefits that they found people were tweeting about. First was that um, people enjoyed um, working remotely because they found it beneficial to their productivity. Um, They also discussed not only being more productive, but they also felt like they, uh, there were a lot of tweets about appreciating the ability to learn remotely. Uh, So people kind of liked the ability to, um, engage with like training content or things of that nature. Um, engaging in remote learning seemed to be something positive. Um, and flexible work schedules seemed to be a positive piece. Um, and people felt like the way that they were able to properly engage with um, remote work so that they were more productive and they could learn in different ways that might be better easier than when they were on the job in person and they could capitalize on flexible work was if they had good collaboration and communication tools so there was a lot of positive positive tweets about having access to good technology that were linked to these positive sentiments around like I'm being so productive or I'm able to learn so much or I'm able to set up my schedule the way that I wanted to so one takeaway from this is that technological tools having the right tools seemed important for promoting some of these positive sentiments around productivity and connection and flexible scheduling that makes a lot of sense um i mean you can't do the work well if your tools are failing you every five seconds or not letting you connect to people the way you need to so i think that makes a lot of sense that that would come up as a potential like driver of people feeling really good about their situation working from home. So yeah, yeah, those themes all make sense to me. I feel like they resonate. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So one takeaway is that, you know, people, some things to maybe capitalize on or think about as a benefit. People might be more productive. They might feel like they can learn in new and different ways and they might feel like they have more control over their schedule but they need proper technology in order to be able to capitalize on those benefits so if people don't have good technology in your company or your collaboration tools don't work well or people aren't well trained on them these positive benefits might be lessened um with regard to the challenges that people highlighted the first was that uh, long hours of teleconferencing was very draining. So people tweeted a lot about feeling exhausted at the end of the day or during the day. Um, people felt like people's negative tweets were about 
having home offices that were not set up in a way that was uh, helpful for them getting their work done. And people tweeted a lot about poor internet connections. So not feeling like <laughs> they had the bandwidth, which we talked about. Yeah. Um, and people also expressed that um, they had concerns about a lack of engagement, that engagement might be decreasing or that they felt like their team was less engaged or less energized uh, because they weren't in the same place. Um, and there were also some tweets around work-life balance concerns that people felt like childcare was interrupting their ability to work. Mm-hmm. Again, that may be something that's exacerbated during this time period. And then the last thing was people's concerns about cybersecurity for people that were in jobs where they were sharing a lot of um, maybe sensitive information, being concerned about how they would do that online. So as a quick recap around that then, um, so individuals felt like they uh, maybe faced some challenges with work-life balance, exhaustion. They also faced some challenges around uh, concerns about engagement. And they were concerned about the security of their information. And this seemed related to uh, their ability to have, again, a proper place to work. So more negative tweets seemed to be arising when people felt like they didn't have the right setup to do their work in or they felt like they had a bad internet connection. So there's a couple of things I wanted to pull a thread on a bit for from these, th- these categories. So like I think we talked about with work-life balance can be a challenge if you're working remotely regardless of the time period obviously now i think it's even more of an issue right and with covid with kids being home all of that we know that was big um, an issue right now same with the office space like people were scrambling to be at home so they didn't have time to set up a good environment so i think that's a big piece that prob that i might lessen a bit outside of this situation i'm very curious about the the engagement one so there's concerns about engagement, but I wanted like, <laughs> here comes the IO psychologist in me coming out mm-hmm. full force being like, well, what data do you have to support that? Have, are they actually right. less engaged or are people right. just lamenting it because they aren't comfortable with moving to a remote environment? So I would yeah. be really interested to know. I mean, I don't know how we'd find this out, but like whether these concerns were valid or were just a reaction to the environment that we're in having to go remote. Yeah, yeah. And it seemed like the sentiments in these tweets were like, we need to make sure that people stay engaged as we're not face to face anymore. So to your point, it didn't seem like people were tweeting like people aren't engaged, but rather people need to make sure that we need to make sure that people don't become disengaged kind of thing. Um, totally. So yeah, I think that you're right. And and probably we could figure out if that's the case by just monitoring engagement levels as more companies don't return uh, back to their office settings. Yeah, um, that's and a then good we point. Would know. But yeah, so so those are some of the positives and negatives. Interestingly, um, there were a couple of things that they couldn't put into any bucket because they had sort of equivalent amounts of positive and negative tweets. And one was around mental health. So an equalish percentage of tweets were about working from home being beneficial to mental health and another amount was that working from home was stressful from a mental Hmm. health perspective um so they're saying in this paper that it might be due to individual preferences of people there might be like uh more nuance to this or there could be contextual factors of like what their home life is like and again taking this with a grain of salt because um 
this was an odd time, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's it's unclear whether people are feeling extra stress because they were in the midst of a pandemic or if they were feeling extra stress just because, you know, there was a work from home change. Yeah, that's a really, I mean, it's interesting that it's equal-ish between the two. Um, so I think that's something that we should be monitoring from like a research perspective uh, as we continue to do more and more research in the remote space because I could see the that COVID impacting both ways, right? Like it could be that some people are, str- are struggling with their mental health and being able to stay home where they're not dealing with anxiety of COVID, um, like coming in contact with it, for example, or feeling like they can, um, you know, have some space from putting on a smile in front of other people, things like that could actually make people feel better than they may yeah. have if they had to go in. And then the opposite could be true too. Like maybe some people needed that connection and now they're not getting that connection. Um, and that is making it harder for them because it's not just that they're working remotely, but they're probably not going anywhere. So now it's like they have no connections. And so it's hurting them more than it would have in a different situation when they're working from home because maybe they would then go out with friends or whatever. Um, right. So right. there's like so many factors there that we just can't really understand what is driving any of it and which is the the true effect if you will yeah yeah so I think it sort of points to the idea that if under these circumstances things skew a little more positively regardless probably they'd skew even more positively under regular circumstances and maybe some of the benefits would get even more beneficial and perhaps some of the challenges would be alleviated a little bit because um, some of them are related to uh, some of the specific challenges that people were facing during this time period which to that point The other topic that was discussed both positively and negatively is one that I brought up before as a challenge, which was work-life balance. But if they remove the negative tweets associated with balancing work and childcare specifically, then there becomes more of an even distribution of positive and negative tweets about work-life balance. So it seems like generally people felt negatively about childcare and working from home during this time period, which is not surprising. No. But when we get rid of the childcare situation, which they did that because they're seeing that as more COVID specific, as we talked about, there is a more balanced amount of positive and negative tweets about work-life balance with about half being around um, having uh, relief from commute time and feeling greater ability to mesh work and life tasks together but the negatives were around having problems maintaining boundaries between life and work because of a lack of structure and separation which we've talked about before so work-life balance if you take out the sort of anomalous childcare issue that happened during covid actually doesn't seem to have taken the hit that you might assume yeah and those challenges and and benefits that you just described are ones that we've seen time and time again in the research so we know that with work-life balance and remote work like you have to create boundaries for yourself you have to you know we talk about things like creating a separate space if you can and different things to help you disconnect from work more effectively um and so I think I mean this might be showing all of our biases that we think remote work can be right. really important. And we do, I mean, we know that in the research, we do see really positive things associated with it. But I wonder if, uh, because they picked a very specific time period, like through July of 2020, I wonder if we looked at a snapshot a little bit later when people have come to become more comfortable with remote work 
and people have adjusted, if we would see some of these issues potentially get a little bit easier as people learn. Because I think when you first start working remotely, it's extremely hard to create those boundaries. But once you've done it for a while, once you've built those boundaries and you've kind of gotten used to how to do that, it gets a lot easier and people do better. So I think that there is a transition period where it can feel like a lot um, outside of COVID even, just regardless of when you go remote, it can feel like a lot at first until you figure out the groove that works best for you, assuming... This is all assuming the organization supports you to actually have flexibility because I think that's the other factor here that's behind the scenes. Like some companies might be pushing for more and more and more from the employees because they're at home and that's why you're seeing some of these work-life balance challenges because those employers are not doing a good job of supporting the balance. But it could be the case that for those that have supportive environments or like decent work environments, it's just needs some practice. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And and that's a really nice segue into what they think managers should do with this data. So they have several practical implications. The first is that in order to help people who are working from home have more structure, um, they suggest that managers could provide um, clear timelines and also clear boundaries so that people understand exactly what's expected of them. They feel like they know what they're supposed to be doing each day. And also that they have some limits on when work-related communications are coming. So, you know, we've talked about this before with work from home. They're reiterating that this would be important, particularly important for people to pay attention to as folks are adjusting to work from home. So uh, some around structure and boundaries. And then they also mentioned that employers and managers should encourage frequent breaks um, and video breaks um, specifically to try to combat the risk of fatigue, which we've also talked about. Um, And then the last pieces are to facilitate interpersonal connections to ensure that engagement and social connections don't decline. So having periodic group meetings or virtual team happy hours, which we've also talked about. And then the last piece is, and and probably the biggest suggestion that they have, is that employers really need to invest in ensuring that employees have access to good collaborative technologies, good video technologies, virtual um, tech support development, that they understand how to use all the tools that are available to them, um, that, you know, if companies need employees to be streaming all the time, that they might want to think about helping them with internet bills, um, and also that they might want to invest in allowing employees to have some sort of a budget for a home office setup so that they feel like they have a separate space that's conducive to their doing their work because a conduit to almost all of these things seem to be whether or not people felt like their workspace and their access to tools to help them do their job better were actually commensurate with what they had to do. I think those are really great and pretty practical tips that are not that hard. Well, budget-wise, some might be harder to implement when it comes to like providing budget for people to create the space. But you know, if you're going to be moving your work or your company more remote, having requiring some people to be remote full time, then you're going to be saving money on office space. So I think it's really important to figure out how to budget effectively to be able to provide those work environments and tools because you're right like that, I think is underlying a lot of the challenges. And if we have the tools in place, then um, the other problems like balance, etc, are ones that you can focus on that don't cost money. So um, 
I think that's a good place to start. And actually, one of the the uh, themes you mentioned was about internet too, like internet being slow. Um, mm-hmm. So one thing, well, there's a couple thoughts I have with that one. The first one is that's another type of budget Terry item that you can think about. Like, can you give people like a I don't know, a, pers- a dollar amount or something towards their internet so they can upgrade to higher speeds. Yeah. Um, yep. So that's something to think about if you know you're going to have a re- remote workforce. Is there a way to think to help supplement the way that, what they're spending on the internet to help them have the better tools? And then, yeah. but the second thing on that one I'm very curious about is Twitter is kind of a place where people go to call out companies for things. Mm-hmm. So I wonder a little bit if the, I mean, I know a lot of people had challenges with the internet during COVID. That's normal. That was constant. But I wonder if part of those themed tweets are also like at, I don't know, Spectrum or whatever, like we're mad about this and right, right, like totally. pay attention. So that's kind of an interesting one too, if there's like some other dynamics at play there. Yeah, they did mention that uh, they couldn't control for who was tweeting. So there would always be some level of error around like a bot or an ad or, you know, other sorts of things. But that they generally, you know, the general population on Twitter is people that are using the platform the way it was intended and all that. But yeah, totally there could be some stuff in there that's uh, skewing some of this data for sure. But I think um, the investment in tools is a really good takeaway, um, making sure that people have the tools they need to do their job just like you would if they were in an office setting. Um, and then hopefully the rest follows in terms of people um, then being able to make, like you said, uh, more minor adjustments that don't cost as much money around boundary setting and uh, making sure that people take breaks from video and things that are easier to maybe implement from a financial perspective. Agreed. I think... Uh... I mean, I think there's a lot you can learn from this study. So I'm really excited that you brought it up. I'm excited that we got to talk about some interesting Twitter research. And, you know, there's a lot of questions that I still have, which I'm sure everyone still has. I'm sure the researchers still have. Yeah. But I think there's some good nuggets here and pretty, like, I feel like a lot of the nuggets are ones that as people are listening, have probably thought about themselves before. So now we have data to show that this is not just you feeling this way. You can use that leverage to, to make changes in organization because now you see some wide scale data on it. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Completely agree. Glad you liked the article and hopefully we'll see some more coming from this once we can actually track it in real time. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And we'd love to hear all of your thoughts, our dear listeners. If you have any questions, concerns, you know, feedback on what you've been tweeting about, (laughs) you can always reach us at our website, workerbeing.com. You can email us at contact at workerbeing.com. And you can find us on Twitter and other social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at workerbeing. And just as a reminder, we do have all of our courses available to you on our website. Um, Right now we have two courses, some more coming in the future, but you should check it out. We have uh, great content to help you manage your stress and build a more sustainable work life for yourself as well. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer and produced by Allie Johnson.